Welcome to the Nine Moms Podcast. My name is Phineas, and this is my mama's podcast, and, and here she is. In today's episode, we hear from Nisa. Nisa gave birth in Melbourne, in Australia, where she and her partner live. Um, and she'll be sharing a journey of hiring a private midwife and going through the public system uh, with the support of her private midwife group. Um, we get to hear how the system in Australia works a little bit. And we also talk about how it is going through birth and having a having a plan or having a wish for it and then and then having having it not turn out perhaps the way we wanted it to and the importance of talking through that and and dealing with and um yeah just talking about it and and dealing with it with other people and with support around us um nisa had a few interventions in her birth that perhaps she didn't expect and she talks about how that worked for her and how we talk about our experiences with birth and postpartum and just talking to people about it and to professionals and to our friends and everything we also touch a little bit on the golden month which is a really lovely concept um of staying in and and being with your baby and healing your postpartum body and and um and we share a lot of thoughts in between us with uh, postpartum maternal health and uh and i have a feeling maybe we will have another episode where we talk a little bit deeper about this um it's a passion of mine and 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 in nisa as well as i understand it so so maybe we will have nisa back and we will discuss a little bit more about this at some point um but i'll let her do the rest of the sharing guys this was a long introduction already um thank you guys for listening in and here is nisa hi nisa and welcome to the nine months podcast thank you for having me <laughs> Thank you for trusting me with your birth story today. Pleasure. Um, do you want to start by introducing yourself and who's in your family? Sure. So my name's Nisa. Um, I live in Melbourne, Australia with my husband and my almost three-year-old daughter. Great. And what do you guys do? Um, I work uh, in store design um, and my husband works for festivals. So a bit of a creative household we try to be. Yeah. All right, great. So um, let's start with your journey to becoming pregnant then. Did you guys plan to have a baby? And how did you find out that you were pregnant? It was a bit of a crazy time. Um, I had, there was kind of a lot going on. I had just moved um, back to Melbourne. I'd been living interstate for about three years and we were moving house and planning our wedding and we just thought hey let's just try spontaneously I mean we talked about it to just not not get pregnant um and it kind of happened the first time <laughs> and um 
unbeknownst to us, I kind of, because so much else was going on in our lives, I just thought, oh, I'm a little bit stressed. Um, even though my periods are kind of never late, I just was like, we'd joke a little bit about it. Maybe I'm pregnant. Um, that not that funny? Um, and then I was having lunch with my mum one day and mentioned that I'd been feeling a bit nauseous, which is very unusual for me. And she was like, that's it, you're pregnant, you should take a test. And I was <laughs> like, um, okay, sure. And I, um, I went and got a test and I bought three actually. And I went home, I took all of them and they were all positive. And I was like, okay. Um, and then I waited for my husband to come home and uh, we sat down, had dinner, I waited till we finished dinner. And I was like, so <laughs> I took a test today. Um, yeah, it was a very um, pleasant surprise. I should also mention um, before that I had been kind of trying to get, I have a little bit of a history with um, polycystic ovary syndrome and had been seeing a Chinese herbal medicine and getting some acupuncture to kind of try and stabilize. Like I'd had regular periods, but um, I just wanted to kind of get it, get my reproductive system all working well in preparation for somewhere down the track getting pregnant. So I had kind of been prepping my body for the last three months um, to be ready so I'd kind of created this atmosphere where it was ready to get pregnant and then I did. That's kind of how that all happened. And then um, we, because my mum had told me to take a test, she was kind of wanting to know. And so we kind of wanted to keep it a little bit between us for a while, but that became a little bit difficult with her giving me knowing looks. Um, and so we ended up telling my parents relatively early um, and then my husband's family live in Germany. So we decided to also tell them, um, pretty early on. And by early, actually, we didn't find out until I was officially, I think I, I went to the GP when I was eight weeks and I found out maybe when I was six. So that's not actually that late, is it? Yeah. So, so right <laughs> in the middle. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Like a, it felt like late for us, but. It yeah, was just yeah. pretty early on. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's how it all started. So in a kind of whirlwind of, okay, I guess I'll be pregnant during our wedding. Oh, that's nice. And so yeah. how, how was the start of your pregnancy then? Did you know what kind of care you wanted and what kind of birth you were planning for and all these things? Um, I think I'd heard had stories of my, my nonna and my mom both having very easy, healthy, normal um, pregnancy. So I'd kind of expected that for myself. Um, and I know my mom had birthed in birth centers and I did have a very vague memory of my um, younger brother being born. And I just assumed I could have the same thing. Um, little did I know that they don't actually exist in Melbourne or I think in Australia, maybe. I'm not sure, but definitely not in Melbourne anymore. So um, a lot of my friends, well, not a lot, but my few friends who had 
had children, had gone through the public system. So that was my default position. Um, and then I was talking it through with my mom, who obviously wasn't up to date on the current birthing options, um, but put me in contact with a family friend who was a midwife, which was really valuable. Um, I kind of spoke to her, I think I was maybe 20, 18 weeks maybe. And she kind of ran me down the options, whether you go private or public or you have a shared care system with your GP. And one that I'd never heard was going um, through a private midwife. Um, and the more I asked about that option, the more it sounded like something I'd really be interested in um, to kind of have that continuity of care, I think was a big a big thing for me and also trying to have as little intervention as possible and just let the body do do its thing um, and she put me in contact with a there's only two I think major um, businesses that have relationships or contracts with hospitals where they can be the sole um, care provider um so i kind of called them the next day had an appointment there and they kind of talked us through what going through their care system um would look like and yeah i really liked i really liked what i what i heard it was a beautiful little building um they had a team of three midwives um and it just had this really beautiful kind of nurturing feminine energy that felt really comforting as a newly pregnant woman. Um, I did in the meantime, before we made our decision to go down the private midwife route, um, I did have my first um, appointment in the public system with the hospital which was fine, but it was a little bit, um, you know, you go into this big waiting room and there's lots of pregnant women and then they call you and you go in for 15 minutes and have a chat. And I knew there was this option um, where you could say you were interested in a um, continuity of care model, but it, they had very, very limited spaces available. Um, and usually for people, who maybe didn't have family here or um, maybe needed that extra support. And the midwife pretty much said to me, look, we don't even tell people that this program exists because it's so hard to get into. Um, it's unlikely you'll get a spot, but I'll put your name down. Um, and then we had a chat about it. And I think when I was about 20 weeks, I decided to go with this private midwife. And it was really an interesting um, emotional decision. I think a lot of my friends had gone through the public system and I felt a little bit of, I felt guilty that I wanted to do something different. And um, for some reason, it, my husband was like, why, this is kind of what you want. Um, why won't you just make the decision? Like it's up to you if you don't want to, go the private midwife route we don't have to mm. um, but I felt really unsure and really guilty that 
I wanted something different. So it was really strange. Once I'd made the decision, that's kind of how, how I am. Once I make a decision, I'm happy and I, I'm all in. But just before, yeah, it was really, um, yeah, uncertain. But I'm very glad I did go down that route. Mm-hmm. And the rest of my pregnancy was really, really normal, really healthy. Everything um, kind of went according to how it should have been. I was very lucky. My my dad um, also practices traditional Chinese medicine um, and specialises in paediatrics, so is often working with pregnant women and little babies. Um, and he very generously offered me kind of weekly um, shiatsu and acupuncture, and hmm. that was a nice kind of. What a wonderful Wait. resource to have. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I, as I was getting it, I thought, oh, my God, this would be so every pregnant woman, if they wanted, should have this kind of one-on-one care. And it was such a nice way to connect with the baby um, and also have, you know, my, my dad connect with the first grandchild. So it was pretty special. Yeah. May I, may I ask you about the when you shifted to the private midwife? What did your what was the change in care going from the public system then to a private midwife? What did it look like for you? So um, we were assigned one of the midwives, um, and I can't remember to be honest the frequency of the um, meetings. It obviously gets more frequent the closer you mm-hmm. get to your due date, but they have kind of they go through certain questions at certain weeks um, where you discuss birth plans and kind of the possible interventions. They tell you things to look out for at this particular time. They measure you. Um, but it's the same person every, every appointment. So you, every time you're building trust, you're building relationships, you're building an understanding of how things might work, what their personalities are like, working out what you might need from each other. Um, And I'm a big, um, if I feel comfortable with someone, um, it makes a big difference if I kind of feel like I've made a safe, I'm in a safe environment. Um, Yeah. And is this the person that would be on, um, or try, I guess, to be on at your birth? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that, that's the idea. They had, um, so there was a team of three and each, you do get us a appointment with each of the midwives. So all of them are across your, um, your plan mm. and get to meet you so that if the time comes that another one of them has to step in, then you've already... Um, got that rapport with them and that you're not just meeting someone for the first time when you're about to give birth so that was also nice it felt like I walked in the building for my appointments and everyone knew who I was um, who my husband was how far along we were Um, it felt it was a beautiful little practice which has grown quite a bit since then but just gives that really nice personalized feel which when you're pregnant, it just 
it's comforting to know that someone's there along the journey with you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. It's so necessary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, how was the rest of your pregnancy then? Did you have any, do any standard testing or any birth education classes maybe or anything like that? I did. I, I did do the normal. Um, we had to do like the, I think it's for testing blood sugar um, at about 20. I can't even remember how many weeks actually. It might be 30 where you have to take this really gross um, sugar syrup, which I don't really have that much sugar and it was really difficult for me. I almost um, vomited and if you vomit, you have to start all over again. So I'm very glad I didn't, but I did that one. And then you can do some genetic testing. Um, There's two options. One is kind of the standard one that they recommend, which tests for genetic abnormalities. Um, And then there's another one that's much more expensive and a little bit more extensive. Mm. And we were a bit unsure whether to do either of those because none of the scans or anything had shown up anything of concern. But in the end, we did do the more standard one just just in case there was something that it would pick up that you know we could be more prepared for or you know any of those things but otherwise um in terms of testing that's kind of all we did we i did look into doing kind of hypnobirthing and calm birthing classes but in the end um we the midwife private midwife center also ran um birthing classes and that was kind of right at I think I was like 38 weeks so in a room full of very heavily pregnant women and and their partners which was very cool um it was kind of my first time being not the only pregnant person in the room it was really (laughs) I can still really vividly remember it but that was really important I would highly highly recommend that for anyone just being informed about um all the things that can happen, things that maybe aren't in books, but, you know, anecdotal conversations. Um, And it's run by one of the midwives. So, you know, they also have um, past clients come in um, and give a little talk about their birthing experience. So there's people you can ask questions who have just, have just done it, um, which was really nice. Um, and a lot of those women that were in that birth class, they also run mother's group catch-ups at the centre as well. Um, and some of those women that I that were in my birth class, I ended up um, becoming friends with through the mother's group after we'd all given birth. Um, so it's kind of a nice, it was a really nice, again, continuity of care and um mm. Yeah, that was really special. Oh, that's great. Is there anything else from your pregnancy that you'd like to share? Um, I think I I did get cramping in my legs a little bit and my husband's um, job was every night to give my calves a massage and <laughs> I, that really helped. Um, it sounds like it 
a bit of an indulgent thing, um, but it just really um, helped kind of keep the swelling down when, especially right at the end when you just feel so big and there's so much weight and pressure um, on your legs that that was, um, I mean, I, he started doing it from very early on before I was big, but <laughs> it was, it was really, it was actually really helpful. And I think um, he came to a lot of my appointments, like most of them, I think. Um, and that was good to just feel like he needed to be a part or at least hear um, what I wanted and hear the information at the same time, even though they're very centred on the pregnant woman, as I think they should be. Um, right. It, it was good for him to hear, um, be there when I said this is the kind of birth that I wanted or um, hear that the options of what might happen as well and not just me being the one doing all the educating but him also being educated about it as well. I think one other big thing um, that I was sharing with my friend recently was um, deciding who was going to be there for the birth. Um, we decided to, there is an option for home birth with the private midwife, but we decided to birth in the hospital. Um, and the arrangement is that you, um, you call your midwife when you're going to labor, they come to your home, check you, spend time with you at home until you're ready to go to the hospital. Then they meet you at the hospital. Um, and then pretty much it's you and your midwife and your support person in the birthing suite. And that's it. They kind of leave you alone unless you need more medical support. Mm. So I just felt like for my first first birth, I wanted a little bit of extra. Right. That sounds yeah. really nice that you get to go and, and then you don't get bothered, uh, so to speak, yeah. if, if so you don't of, need it. That sounds nice. They kind of protect you in a way, like a little bit like a doula, but but they have authority to make medical decisions. Mm. Um, so it was kind of making a birth centre within a hospital, which is kind of what I wanted. Um, so that was kind of how, you know, working through that and um, knowing what might happen at the hospital once we were there. It was important early on for um, my husband to to be there and understand all of those choices too. Right, right. And be so, a bit of a shocking experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so should we jump into the birth story itself then? Sure. Um, so I think as maybe a lot of women do, you kind of have an inkling and if my mother-in-law was like, oh, I think you're going to, you're going to, um, she's going to, oh, they are going to come early. And I kind of thought too, my dad had been giving me acupuncture. Everything was going well. Everything was looking great. And my due date came and my due date went. I think my due date was possibly emotionally the hardest day. Um, I think I felt really disappointed that nothing happened. Um, yeah. And I knew, you know, the due date was here. My husband 
was waiting, you know, not that he was saying anything, but my parents were waiting, my friends were waiting, everyone was waiting and I, I didn't do anything. It was really, it was a really hard day actually. Um, once that day passed, um, I think I was due on the 8th of September and I went into labour um, on the 14th. So I was 40 plus six, I think. And at that point, we, there was no talk of um, induction or anything like that yet, which was another thing um, my midwife knew that I really didn't want. So that was good. I didn't feel any pressure medically that time was running out. Um, but I, yeah, so I went into spontaneous labor at five in the morning. Um, I woke up with what felt like period cramps and I thought it was just, I don't know. I think I thought it was just cramping and tried to kind of go back to sleep and was rolling around a little bit. And then I kind of realized it was coming in waves and I thought, Oh, I think, uh, I think that's contractions. Um, and then I think I woke my husband up at eight o'clock and he had been planning to go into work that day. And I was like, um, maybe don't go into work today. <laughs> um, so we called my midwife. Um, they were like, great, we'll come over soon. I think they got there just before sometime in the morning before midday, but no kind of rush, which was nice. They were just like, take it easy, rest as much as you can. Um, they came, were like, yep, you're definitely in labour. Just give us a call, let us know how it's going. We'll come back later this afternoon. I laboured at home and I really wanted to stay at home as long as I could and I'd heard a lot of stories. But the earlier you go, kind of the more likely, especially at hospital, there is a chance they might just want to get you in, get the baby out and send you off. Um, so the longer you can and feel comfortable laboring at home, the better in that safe environment. So I had that in my mind. Um, so I kind of continued to labor. I did lots of, um, of the yoga ball. I had a shower, tried to rest very unsuccessfully. And I had those kind of waves of, of contractions that kind of, I don't remember exactly how far apart and we were vaguely timing them, but it wasn't, um, it didn't kind of escalate quickly or anything. It was just like a really slow, slow build. And then sometime, I think maybe around five or 6 PM, my midwife came back and did a vaginal examination and I was four centimeters and she was like, you're looking great. You're doing great just stay at home as long as you feel like you want to and let us know when you're um, ready to go to the hospital and we'll meet you there. Mm -hmm. So I kind of kept doing what I was doing. Um, and then I think I had a shower, which felt really great, but then I got out of the shower and just thought, I don't want to be at home anymore. Like this is not feeling like a fun, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't, it didn't, I was getting frustrated at home and I just wanted to get out of there. Um, so at midnight 
um, unfortunately for my midwife, we called her and said, we're heading to the hospital. Um, the car ride was so unpleasant. <laughs> it was like a 20 minute drive. And I think I was grabbing onto the, um, the handle at the top of the window and just like lifting myself up every, every bump and every, every contraction. It was, yeah, it was not pleasant. And then when I we got out of the car and we walked to the hospital, my midwife was waiting there and cause it was in the middle of the night, we had to go through emergency. Um, and I just burst into tears as soon as I saw her from the relief of like, okay, someone's here, something's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and she was trying to, she was like, don't cry. This is great. And I was like, I know I just feel, I don't know why I'm crying. It was just like an explosion of emotions. <laughs> um, but it was actually quite nice to go there at that time. The hospital was really quiet. Um, we just slowly walked up to a birthing suite. She did all the intake papers and everything. So we really just went straight in there um, and got ourselves set up. Um, we had lights off. My husband had spent a long time carefully curating our birthing playlist. Um, got that all set up, got our snacks out, we had a birthing pool there and yeah, and then I just kept laboring. Um, I got into the birth pool for a while and I had a TENS machine um, because I think by the time I got to the hospital, I'd noticed I was having quite um, severe hip pain, every contraction. And um, so my midwife suggested using the TENS machine to help relieve some of that. And then I got into the, the bath or the pool, the birth pool. And that kind of relieved a little bit. And she pretty much said, you're doing really great. Um, told my husband to have a rest while he could. She's like, this is great. You just keep going. We're going to rest because there's nothing else we can do here. Everything's going really well. Um, and then it kind of just, and it, at one point I wanted to get out, um, of the pool and kind of walk around a little bit. And as soon as I got up, my hip pain just kept, it was really difficult to, I could feel my body tensing up instead of relaxing. I started getting really frustrated that I knew I was meant to relax my body and breathe. But every time a contraction came, I would tense and my husband would try and encourage me. You just need a, you just need to relax, breathe down, do those breathing exercises. And I just wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> um, I was like, you don't know what's happening. <laughs> you don't know what this feels like. Um, and then my midwife was like, should we have another look? Um, when she did another exam, my waters broke. Um, and I was only, I think, at five centimetres. So I hadn't moved that much which was really disappointing at that point. Um, and then she was like, okay, let's just keep doing some movements. Let's go, we'll go into the shower. Let's see if we can get this going. And then I, at some point, I can't remember how long, um, we, 
I think when the doctors came in or maybe the obstetric registrar came in and they were like, mm, let's have a look. Uh, at that point I was getting a bit frustrated because I had to kept getting on, up on the bed and, you know, at, you're naked and there's so many people touching you and checking you and it's just like um, you just have to resign to it at a certain point. But I was just really annoyed that I had to keep people just want to keep touching me and I just wanted to get on with it. Um, but she was like, okay, we're just a bit concerned because you're, you've been laboring for a really long time. Um, and I think at that stage I'd been there 10 hours or something. Like it was quite a while and I wasn't as far along and they were, they had a monitor on the baby and she was fine and I was fine, but they were just conscious of me getting tired. And so they, that was the first time they mentioned possibly um, getting Syntocin and I really didn't want that. Um, and so my midwife kind of advocated for me and was like, look, Every, the baby's fine. She's fine. Let's give her another two hours and we'll come back and we'll reassess then. Mm. And so at that point I kind of knew something had to happen, but I was glad to have had that my midwife create that space for me. Then they came back after two hours and checked me again. And I still hadn't, um, I was still at six centimeters. At that point, um, I think during my chats and my meetings with my midwife throughout my pregnancy, one of the big things we'd talked about is our birth plan and what we wanted. And she'd always been like, um, one of the reasons we do this is because if it does come to a point where you need intervention or an epidural or whatever, that when I tell you, I think, you should have one, you know, that's because I really think you should have one, not because I have any ulterior motives of wanting to get you out of the hospital or wanting this to hurry up. Mm. Um, and so when she said to me, um, you're really tired, even though you and the baby are fine, we think um, she is stuck on your hip um, and that's why you've got quite a bit of hip pain and why you're not progressing any further. And what we need is for her head, the contractions to stop so she can reposition her head. And to do that, you need to rest. Um, and I really think at this point you need an epidural. And of course, you know, no, uh, birthing mother who doesn't want one um, wants to hear that but you know because we'd had that discussion and we'd prepped that I knew she, her saying that meant as soon as she said that I was like okay I guess that's what's gonna have to happen and they gave me some time they walked out of the room gave me some time to talk it through with my husband and came back in after five minutes and again once I kind of made the decision I was kind of ready for it to just be done, but um, 
I just remember bursting into tears and I, they were like, you have to calm down so that we can get the epidural in. Um, but it was kind of a similar feeling to when I first saw my midwife. It was just this relief um, rather than being scared or, or sad that it was happening. I think I just, I felt relief that something was going to happen. I don't know. Um, but then, yeah, so the, I have to say the, I don't know if it's an, an anaesthetist or who administers it, but the man who did it was just amazing. Like he was so gentle and um, talked me through what was happening and really understanding. And I feel really grateful for that because it wasn't, um, you know, not something I wanted to happen, but I, he made it the best, best yeah. it could have been, I think. Yeah. And then, um, then they, at the same time when they administered that, they um, gave me um, a Sintosin drip um, to kind of also keep, um, kick, kick the um, contractions on once she had repositioned her head. Um, and then pretty much once they did the epidural, I slept for four hours. I was so exhausted, which is exactly when I woke up, my midwife was like, that's exactly why you needed it. Your body was tired. You needed, you needed a rest. Um, but, but, you know, I woke up and I was just, wires were everywhere. Things were coming out of me. I was in bed and I really didn't want to birth on my back in bed. And it wasn't, it wasn't how I had <laughs> hoped it was going to be. Um, but the good part was once they came in, when I woken up, I was fully dilated. So that was kind of what we wanted. And my midwife was really happy and was really reassuring through that, that, you know, this is exactly, it did exactly what we'd hoped it would do. So that was a relief, um, but I couldn't feel anything and I was really disappointed about that. I really wanted to, to know what it felt like to give birth and I think I grieved the loss of knowing that and I still do a little bit now. Um, and then what happened next? And then at that point... Um, because I'd been in the hospital for more than 12 hours, uh, we had to change midwives. So they, they had a shift change and a different midwife from the company, from the practice came, who in hindsight now was um, very different to my kind of assigned midwife. But I hadn't met her before and she had just had this, my assigned midwife was a little bit more, um, she was quite experienced and very matter-of-fact and didn't really baby or mother. She just um, was kind of what I needed at that part of my birth or that part of my labour. And then the second midwife who came was this soft, nurturing, mothering, gentlewoman who I loved her spirit and and. 
she was really what I needed at that point of my labor. So it worked out really well in the end, I think. Um, and she really guided me through pushing, which was really difficult when I couldn't feel anything. Um, and she let me go for two hours. So I think at one point the hospital wanted to kind of come in and move it along and she kind of again advocated for me and was like no she's doing really good let's give her a little bit longer she's almost there and she was really great and encouraging but in the end she kind of was still a little bit stuck um and the obstetric registrar was like we and they because they had the fetal monitor on her they were like well um, even though she'd been fine the whole whole labour, they were like, there is a little bit of um, distress. Not a lot, but a little bit. So we would like to um, use a vacuum. And I didn't want that either, but I thought, well, vacuum's better than forceps. So, okay. Um and they tried twice and it didn't work. And then my midwife was like, we're gonna to have to try with forceps. Um, and I think I knew about them, but I didn't really, I know much more now about all the things that can happen with a forceps delivery. And um, I think I would have been a lot more distraught or distressed if I'd known that at the time. Um, but they use forceps um, and what I didn't know was the registrar also gave me an episiotomy, um, which my husband later told me that he saw and it was quite traumatic for him to see these scissors be pulled out and just like cut into my skin. Um, I only noticed when they kind of pulled her out and I felt this kind of suction and then release of fluid. And then two seconds later, there was like a baby put on my chest. It was, I was kind of in shock more than anything because I wasn't really aware of how close or far away her actual birth was, which was also not how I had hoped that first moment would be I think I was really shocked um mm. and then they we had a bit of skin to skin and then they took um at that point we didn't know what well, if we were having a boy or a girl and they took the baby and did the checks on the table the doctor was there at, like at that point there was so many people in the room and checked her all her scores were great they put her back on my chest and and I remember looking at my husband going, What what is it? <laughs> like I didn't I hadn't didn't know yet. And he was like, It's a girl. And the whole time I was convinced it was gonna be a boy. <laughs> so it was a real surprise. Yeah. Um and then when I was holding her, I felt like a tugging, and then I realized she was stitching me up, and I was like, oh. I wonder what happened down there. Um, and I 
talk to my midwife about it later, but um, they weren't happy that they didn't tell me they were doing it. Um, yeah. And I, a part of me understands that, you know, things are happening so fast, they had to make a decision, but um, it was important to me to kind of give consent the whole way through and, yeah. Yeah. I, f- I felt really disconnected for, for, to that part of my body quite a bit afterwards. Um, but she had a little bit of, um, she cried, but her voice was like, it was a little bit gurgly and they, we were like, Oh, they noticed it. And they said, look, it's quite common. Um, but we'll come back in an hour and check to make sure she's okay. And they came back in an hour and checked her and they're like, she's fine, which was great. She had a very oblong head from being in the um, birth canal, but otherwise she was a perfectly healthy, beautiful little baby. Mm. Um, And we were also really lucky because we were in the birth suite, there was... So we'd been there for quite a long time now, um, over 12 hours. And I, I gave birth at 6.30 at night on the 15th. So my whole labour was 25 hours, almost 26. Um, and what also I forgot as well, which was such a strange feeling, I can still feel it now, was they did... Um, controlled cord um tugging or whatever where they gently pull the placenta out which i also didn't want i wanted to do that naturally but at that point they were worried because i was so tired that i wouldn't be able to do it myself so and that all was fine everything was intact and there was no issues there um but that feeling of having something removed from you It was very, even though I also couldn't feel it properly, it was just a very strange, strange thing to have happened. Yeah. Did they uh, ask permission to do that? Yes, I think so. I don't. Oh, at least they told me what was going to happen and why they needed to do it. Mm. Um, But I was still really you know, I had this baby on my chest and I was still in shock and kind of so much was happening that Mm. I, I was just like, "Uh, okay. Like I wasn't really there. Right. I think. Um, Yeah. Which, you know, and I, I don't have any um, uncomfortable feelings about that part. I think that was probably the right thing to do. And they said it was a little bit ragged when it came out, which, um, means they, they did the right thing. They made the right call. Um, but the good thing was um, the maternity ward was full, so there wasn't anywhere else for us to go. Um, so we got to stay in the birth suite, my husband and me and our baby daughter, um, and they just left us there. Um, so we, my husband was sleeping on the floor or on like a, on a, on a chair with some blankets and a pillow and 
I slept in the bed and I think I crashed. Um, and he did like the nappy change and um, we were lucky. She latched pretty well on that first, first time. Um, but the staff were really happy. My midwife was happy. Um, and yeah, I think we were left alone until seven o'clock the next morning. So we had like almost 12 hours or 10 hours, I suppose, where we just mm. could be, you know, it was still in a hospital, but it was this dark room and it was just three of us just getting to know each other. And, um, it may have been uncomfortable for my husband, but it was, I'm really grateful he could stay and we could, could all be together. Yeah at that time and then my midwife came back at nine o'clock the next morning did all the checks and said are you happy to go home and I did all the the things go to the toilet do a poo all that kind of stuff they were happy Mm. um and then I was discharged at nine o'clock the following morning and it was so strange having a little baby all of a sudden this tiny little thing in our car (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on the way home <laughs> yeah and how was um, it coming home and arriving back it was really nice it was really nice I think we we hadn't really um we hadn't really told anyone what was happening I think at one point when we were at the hospital I told um my husband to to call my family because they were kind of waiting to hear, I think, and they knew they hadn't heard from us and had, or maybe we told them we were going to the hospital and um, when we were leaving to the hospital, I can't remember exactly, but I think maybe we called them when we got home and said, we're home, we've got our baby, you can come and see us tomorrow. Um, So we just had the first 24 hours, just the three of us. I think we spent the whole time in bed. Um, another really great thing about the private midwife care was that for the first seven days after birth, they come and visit you at your home every day. Um, and just sometimes they didn't even do anything. They just sat on the bed and talked to us and saw how we were feeling. I mean, they would check the baby obviously to make sure everything was fine, but Um, and just really encourage us to rest and nest and have this special, special time. Yeah. Um, and that was really nice, not having to go anywhere. I know some people like to kind of get up and get moving, but um, my dad had given me this beautiful book called The Golden Month. Um, and it's kind of from the perspective of Chinese medicine, but the idea of this first month after birth like the fourth fourth trimester pretty much um and all these kind of ancient rituals and things that that a new mother shouldn't do but also what people should be doing and essentially treating her like a queen and um looking after her and helping to rebuild her up after this big trauma event um and i really loved that and we really tried to do that for the first, for the first month. Um, but especially that first week, um, I really don't think we left the bed. I certainly didn't go outside. Um, I just 
we just nested. It was really beautiful. I think I think it's such a such a beautiful thing that we sometimes forget in the cultures yeah. that we're living in. This that you should be home. You know, after oh. my second, I was out on day three going for walks, and it's not. Oh gosh. You know. Yeah, I wish. Um, if I ever have a third one, I will, <laughs> I will apply that golden month as much as I can, for sure. <laughs> it was really, I really, um, I don't really have trouble relaxing. Um, mm. I'm not one of those people who finds it hard to sit still. Um, but it was just such a special way of looking at that time. And I think our culture at the moment doesn't always support that you know, um, that you kind of have to fight for it and protect it. And this Mm. book, it's a really small book. I know there's quite a few that do different, um, that, you know, have different versions of the same idea. This one is really short. It's kind of based on a um, historical text. Um, So some of of the, the suggestions in there are very old school, like don't go into a cold stream and the idea is like, make sure you don't get a chill because you're really vulnerable. And when this book was written, you know, showering meant going into a stream to wash. Um, right. But it was just, I really, I really bought into that, um, that concept. And I, I agree. I think it's so, so important that postpartum time, not just for the baby, but for the mother, makes a really, really big difference on. Um, kind of the rest of the journey I think Mm, absolutely I'll be sure to include that book on your show notes page for reference yeah highly recommend yeah is there any uh, anything else from your postpartum that you'd like to share with us we did um our beautiful friend Rachel actually organized um a meal train for us so she did a spreadsheet and we gave her the names and contact details of a bunch of our friends and for the first month or maybe maybe even longer we had friends and family drop off food um and that was incredible it was just in that time when you really don't want to have to think about anything else but bonding and looking after this baby um that was really valuable um and the other the other thing too that i felt incredibly important especially for me and kind of digesting how my birth had gone was part of the um program with the private midwife was you after that first week and then you meet weekly with them for the first six weeks um and that last appointment you debrief and go through all the birth notes um and I think for those it took me a few days when I was at home if my husband kind of noted took me a few days to really connect with her I think I was still mentally and physically a bit in shock at what had happened um and I felt a little bit of guilt that I hadn't been able to do it the way I wanted to and if I had only done this and if I had only done that then maybe I would have had you know I really wanted to have a breast crawl where they 
crawl up your chest and breastfeed on their own for the first time and you know all of these I wanted delayed cord clamping and you know none of these things happened like pretty much nothing on my birth plan happened you know the only thing that didn't happen was a cesarean um, and I felt lots of conflicting emotions about it um, and so that last appointment where we went over the birth notes was incredibly valuable my midwife was like talked me through everything showed me on the diagram where the episiotomy was i'd also had a really really small tear from that as well um and kind of was like you you couldn't have done anything else she was stuck um none of the movements or anything you could have done could have changed what happened sometimes these things just happen um and i really needed to hear that <laughs> um it made a huge difference um and also you know luckily for us breastfeeding she had a really big mouth <laughs> um breastfeeding came um really gently and smoothly um so that was also good to have their advice in those early weeks on positions and you know feeding and holding and all that kind of thing so yeah but yeah, yeah. that that birth debrief was yeah i think what we were discussing earlier is um you know making sure talking it through made me realize that even though all the things that um had happened weren't what i wanted my midwife and my husband and i were still still felt empowered by the experience because i was given the choice along the way and asked except for the episiotomy but um you know if i was okay with things happening and um in the end yeah i was comforted with the fact that okay it didn't go how i wanted and i didn't get all the things that i'd hoped to get and experiences i'd hoped to have from giving birth but but it was still an empowering i can still feel empowered by the experience um yeah and i had quite a few friends that hadn't had that um and i'm very grateful that my midwife was able to support me through that yeah yeah definitely it sounds it sounds like something that everybody should have or should you know I after <laughs> yeah just have someone to talk talk it through with and be explained yeah. everything that happened to your body you know and to you yeah. and to your baby and yeah that's a that's a discussion for another day I think absolutely <laughs> look it's one I have with my um with my friends so regularly even mm. years now like my daughter's almost three and I'm still angry at the birthing culture here and um mm. how not central the woman's needs are mm. um it's so medicalized um yeah. and that i 
I felt guilty that I wanted this level of care um, because not everyone gets it, but everyone deserves it, I think, yeah. if that's yeah. what they want. And some, some people don't, um, but for those that do, I think it's so, it has such a big effect on, you know, your relationship yeah. with your child, your relationship with parenthood. Yeah, and with yeah. yourself. I mean, totally. I don't know about you, but my births were, you know, the probably the biggest things that have that have happened to me as a human, yeah. you know, and 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 to be able to have support through through them and through that experience uh, is so important, uh, and that it, sh it should be essential, and the woman should be in the center. But in a lot of cultures, including here where I live in the Czech Republic, the woman, the child is, is the center first and then uh, the woman comes after. It's always like that. I, I used to say like so much of the literature and um, out there is like, well, you know, you should be happy that the baby, that you come out of this experience with a healthy baby. Mm. But I think that's such a low bar. Um, no you know there's so so much trauma that women can go through and you know I had a I feel empowered by my partly traumatic birth but there's still so much that um I don't know that angers me about the whole the whole system mm. um yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I get I can get very <laughs> very worked up about it <laughs> Um, and, you know, it was three years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could talk about this forever. It's uh, it's one, one of the reasons why I do this also is just, you know, because I felt the need to talk through my birth and uh, you know, just so we can get it out of our systems a little bit and, um, yeah, just talk about it. I think it. also, like, I found it too, um, you know, the period after even though I had that experience, I still felt really disconnected with my body for quite a while. Mm. Um, there was so much that had been done to it and kind of how I mentioned there were so many people touching me that, and then this baby that was, you know, needed me physically um, that I felt really disconnected um, yeah. from even when I did get my period again, I didn't have any premenstrual symptoms. It was like, I couldn't connect with what was happening. Um, mm. And it took me like quite a bit of time and work and effort to do that. And yeah. I think, you know, there's so much that happens to a body in pregnancy and then in birth and then postpartum. And we're not really given a lot of support um, right. for that. And I think that's such a shame. Yeah. Um, and there's so much, so much opportunity there that women um could really benefit from yeah absolutely and i think i think when you look at it as a whole the more we support women in postpartum the the healthier they will be both physically and mentally of course and caring for their for their child yeah i only just heard the term postpartum doula for the first time like last month i didn't even know it was a thing um yeah and I just think, what a wonderful, wonderful thing to do for mm -hmm. someone 
Yeah. What a beautiful thing that every every mother should have access to. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a friend who had one a few years ago she told me about it and it was just everything from just holding her hand a bit or or mm-hmm. having a chat or cooking them some dinner and you know letting her have a shower and holding the baby and just yeah. I don't know especially I have a lot of women here that I speak to in the Czech Republic who don't have family here a lot of uh, expats and 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 people have immigrated here and to have someone that can come to your house that maybe you know has this as their job rather if you don't have your family around that's also something yeah. that's very could be very special I think absolutely I think so too it's been interesting though I mentioned it to a few people lately as soon as I heard about it I wanted to learn more about it mm. um, and a lot of the reaction is oh well isn't that a bit luxurious mm-hmm. and I was so like from quite a few people and I was so shocked at yeah. this time and that support is not like what a why doesn't everyone think it's a great idea I'm yeah. so bewildered by that attitude and I think there's a lot of room to change that attitude at least here in Australia right yeah and everyone yeah. would benefit from that yeah absolutely I think we could keep talking about this forever, Nisa. Yes, we absolutely could. <laughs> May I ask you before we finish if there are any other resources other than the ones you've mentioned that you'd like to share? I know um, it's been mentioned before, but I also, the one book that I read throughout the pregnancy, besides um, The Golden Month, um, was Rhea Dempsey's Birthing with Confidence. Um, such an amazing book and really um, taught me a lot about how to mentally prepare for birth and I wanted my husband to read the whole thing he didn't read the whole thing but he did read this one chapter which he said for partners um, he would highly recommend and it was the one talking about um, pain and thinking about the pain of birth like the um, pain of an elite athlete um, and just kind of reframing how you know your body is giving you these signals not because you're hurt but it's a way of communicating to you what's happening and it's a way that you can listen um, to your body rather than be scared from it but listen to it and I just really connected with that um, and it was just really, it's a really beautiful book that talks in real terms about the realities of it, um, uh, but also, you know, doesn't medicalize it. And she's a very well-known um, midwife um, and advocate. And I really resonated with her, her messages. Um, also podcasts, birthing podcasts like this one I think I listened obsessively while I was pregnant until I was about 38 weeks and then I thought I need to start thinking about my own birth story (laughs) I think I hear anyone else's anymore Um, they were really helpful just to get an idea of the width and breadth of 
um, what birth can look like for women um, and just, you know, hearing terms that I didn't understand and mm. knowing that certain things were even possible. Um, and I personally didn't find them scary. I found it all really interesting and informative and, mm. um, yeah, they were my yeah. biggest resources. Yeah, that's great. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just knowing that every woman's experience is different. That is totally and sharing them. I think it's such a powerful, powerful thing to even listen to someone else's. Mm. Um, so it's such a personal, personal thing. And it's, yeah, um, yeah, I find it really moving and even sharing my own. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to share with other women. Yeah, absolutely. So Thank you, Nisa, so much for sharing your beautiful story with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. Thanks again, Nisa, for coming on the podcast today and sharing your beautiful birth story with us. If you are listening in and you'd like to reach out to Nisa with any questions or anything, then do feel free to send me an email at the9monthspodcast at gmail.com or go to 9monthspodcast.com and fill out the contact form there and I will be sure to forward anything to her that comes in from there. If you'd like to share your birth story, I'm always open to recording more stories. So do feel free to reach out if that's the case. Have a wonderful week ahead, you guys. And thank you so much for listening in. I'll see you next week with a new episode.